Now this morning we're going to continue, as, as you've heard multiple times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We've been doing this series, Jesus the King Who Saves, and we're looking at chapter 6 from verse 1 to 18 this morning. So open up your Bibles there, Matthew 6 verse 1 to 18. It's so much shorter than last week, the passage. Um, so let's get into it. As we go through it, and as Craig has already mentioned, the Lord's Prayer one of the most famous words in the globe, uh, a part of this section that we're going to look at. But I'm not actually going to look at it that much. I'm going to look at the whole big picture of what Jesus is trying to teach us. And the Lord's Prayer is part of that, uh, but we're not going to look at that in detail. And luckily, I can say in the last two or three years, we've done the Lord's Prayer just by itself a number of times. I remember Tony doing one just as the kind of pandemic came in. I did one before that, so if you do want to have a look at that, and I highly recommend that, uh, go on onto our website or on YouTube and you can find it there. We're not going to be looking at it in detail this morning. So Matthew chapter 6 from verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV, and we're going to read to verse 18. Verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, says Jesus, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let us not, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you as the one who is in secret. In other words, we, we cannot see you. You are everywhere but we know that you can see everywhere and you can see in secret. And uh, that's a frightening thought because you can look down into the darkest depths of our hearts 
You know what we've done this week when no one was around. And so we come to you, the God who is sovereign over all, all all-knowing, even knowing everything about us. And we come before you humbly, Lord. We pray that as we look at who you are and who we are to be in light of these magnificent truths, that you would shape us, that you would give us confidence that whatever we learn here today would not strike fear in us or make us secluded, but to be bold and brave, living out the wonderful things that we see, especially in light of what we saw last week. So be with us. Be our great teacher again, Lord Jesus, and uh, do some heart surgery on us this morning as you see fit. We pray this all in your name and for your glory and ultimately for our good. Amen. I want to throw a few sayings in front of you this morning, and I want you to think, maybe don't shout it out, um, what you think they all have in common. I've got four. First one, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Okay, that's a famous one. Second one, put your money where your mouth is. Third one, practice what you preach. And the fourth one is treat others the way you'd like them to treat you. Now, what do they all have in common? Well, I think all these short sayings are to help people not to be hypocrites, right? No one wants to be a hypocrite. No one likes hypocrites. And being a hypocrite has very negative consequences, which we try and show our kids and others so that they don't become like that. So they live a life of truthfulness, and, and, and clarity towards people, not hiding things. You see, to be a hypocrite is to say one thing and to do another. It's, it's when you say some, when what you say and what you do don't always line up. And particularly it ticks people off when you say something to portray yourself in a certain way before a certain group of people so that you can be liked by them and accepted and embraced. And then when you're with another group, well, you say a, a, a different set of things and you live a different set of way to be accepted by this group. And you can change in different ways. And we actually, um, we actually have a word for this. We would call people who do that two-faced, don't we? When they're with this crowd, they face up in this way. And when they're with this crowd, they face up in a very different way. Facing up in ways that contradict each other. Uh, and simply to be approved or liked or accepted. And it's interesting that we have this word two-faced because that was what the word hypocrite initially meant in this original language of the New Testament. The the word hypocrite actually birthed out of the the theater and the entertainment and the the acting industry, if you like. You see, what, what people used to do back then is to try and, I don't know if it's to try and save money, But you'd have a smaller cast, okay? And you'd have different masks that people would have on. Hey, now I'm Romeo, and then I run off the stage, and I come on with a different mask. Now I'm Juliet, and all sorts of things, right? So you can go on and off the stage and be a completely different person just on what you put on your face. And then obviously your actions line up with that. And so that's where this word came out of. A hypocrite is someone who acts in different ways. They put different masks on themselves to, to kind of fit in with their character. But the sad reality is that people don't just do that on the theater stages and on movie sets, but they do it in real life. And it hurts people and it breaks trust. And this morning, Jesus is warning us against hypocrisy from our passage. Essentially what Jesus is saying is beware 
religious hypocrisy. I'm not sure if you've picked up on it already, but that phrase, do not be like the hypocrites, is repeated three times in our passage. But here's the kicker. What Jesus is warning us about is not the hypocrisy that we all know, that that our world can see and that we all tend to hate and not like. He's warning us about an hypocrisy that others can't see. It's invisible to the human eye. It's an hypocrisy within our hearts as part of our motives. And so the negative consequences of this spiritual religious hypocrisy is actually far, far greater than the normal hypocrisy we all know and see. And so how do we avoid this kind of religious hypocrisy that Jesus is warning us about? Well, I think if you put the whole passage together, this essentially is what Jesus is saying. Practice your righteousness to be seen by your heavenly Father and to be rewarded by Him. I think that's the main idea, and I'm I'm going to try and prove it to you as we go through the passage. We'll go through it in three sections and deal with it. We'll start with the first bit. Practice your righteousness. What we see in verse 1 is that Jesus is expecting His followers to practice their righteousness. Now, this obviously flows out from last week, right? When He showed us uh, that He Himself is the true teacher of the law. He also showed us the law in a new, deep, and profound way. And He also warned us that if our righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and he had this real emphasis on being perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. That's what he finished with. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so you can imagine Jesus' followers going, yes, I want to do this. Give me something to do. Oh, you just said those things. I'm going to do it. I'm going pr- to do the stuff that you're telling me, Jesus. And then Jesus says, as they're getting ready to do that, just beware. Beware of religious hypocrisy. Now, now look at those three words carefully, okay? Practice your righteousness. Notice what it does not say, okay? It does not say, practice until you're righteous. It doesn't say that. It, it's, it's not like it's saying, practice, practice makes perfect, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. Neither is it saying, practice the law, for your righteousness. Remember Jesus said that He's come to fulfill the law in, in our failings to do so and that He did it in our place. And so it's not saying that. So what is He saying? What Jesus is saying is practice your righteousness. So what we've got as Christians who, who, who have looked at the law and listened to Jesus teaching carefully last week and we've said, wow, I can't do that. It's impossible. Like, I cannot live up to these high standards that Jesus has just shared with me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust Jesus, that He's done it in my place. That He came and He was under the law and He lived in a way that is perfectly right and true and in line with the law. And His righteousness is now counted as mine through faith. You see, people who who do that, Christians, who put their faith in Jesus for their righteousness... Well, we have a righteousness that's been given to us. And, uh, and we are seen as perfectly right before God. And what Jesus is saying to us, to Christians, people who have trusted in Jesus for their righteousness, He says, you're righteous already. Now practice it. 
You've got the law written on your heart by my spirit as we saw last week. Now live it out. As Christians, we have inherited a righteousness that is not our own, but we practice it as our very own, and we live it out. Now, this is in some way not to be a hypocrite, right? In the same way that the world says, and in the way that the world sees and speaks about, this is similar to saying, uh, practice what you preach. Throughout the Bible, Christians are expected to to, to be people who act out their beliefs in a way that is very obvious and visible to others. You know, later in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Matthew 7 verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits, right? So the way we practice our righteousness, the way we live out our faith is actually meant to be visible by other people. Jesus' followers will be recognized by the fruit that his gift of righteousness bears on them and creates in them. So the first step in avoiding religious hypocrisy is to practice your righteousness. Practice what you preach. Now let me show you what we preach as Christians and how Jesus kind of shows this should shape us in these three areas that he deals with. Giving to the needy, prayer and fasting. Okay, Let's, let's have a think about giving to the needy first. Have a look at these verses that we love from the Bible. Look at these. Um, Barry, do you mind going to the next slide? There we go. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The next one, that's Ephesians 2 verse 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that so that you by his poverty might become rich. What we see in these verses, right, is that God is a generous giver. He gives abundantly to those who desperately need his help because without his grace, there's just absolutely no way we can be saved and secure eternal life. His riches overflows to us and, 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 and shapes us, our spiritual poverty Uh, which is our greatest need. So he makes us rich, even though we're spiritually poor. Now, if that is what we preach, and that is what we love about Jesus, and we believe that about him, well, we should be a giving and generous people, right? We should be the first to spot people in need and then use what we have to help them out. And not just some people, but all people, as, as kind of our passage finished last week. So how are you going at practicing this kind of righteousness? Are you pursuing your heavenly Father's perfection in this area? Or maybe you like the Pharisees, right? That, that, that are like, were really specific about giving 10%. And they, you know, they even went through their herbs, their veggie patches, and picked 10% of things and gave that to the church. But in the end, Jesus said to them, Well, you lack mercy and grace and a generous heart. Are you like them, or or does your righteousness exceed theirs, like Jesus said it ought to for us as his followers? Second thing Jesus goes on to talk about is prayer. Now, what do we believe about prayer, and and, and how should we practice that? Well, uh, have a look at this from Philippians 4, verse 5 to 6. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
We read this, we love it, we believe it, we share it with other people, we post it on our Facebook pages. But how is it meant to shape us? The fact that God is within reach. He's, he's at hand. It's literally as you poke your hand out. He is there. Now without Jesus, God is so far off because we have rejected him, right? There's absolutely no relationship. We, we believe that maybe he doesn't exist. Um, uh, maybe we're angry with him or maybe even we hate him and so we don't approach him. We're far off. But through faith in Jesus, we are brought near. We who have been far off. And just like a parent, this is the picture I've got when I think about this, just as a parent would go down on their knees and turn their ear towards their child that's busy speaking to them while they're crying, (laughs) so God is ready, he's near to hear our request. But how often do we actually reach out? How often do we just pour out our hearts like children to our Father who's just there at hand? Well, look at about this next one from prayer. In Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You see, when we approach God in prayer, we do it confidently because we're not doing it on our own merit, but on Jesus' work for us. And did you notice, we're not approaching, notice there who we're approaching and what we're approaching. We're not approaching a courtroom with a big, you know, kind of bench with an angry judge on it as we're praying. No, we're approaching the throne of grace. Our Lord rules all. He is the king of the universe and he rules graciously and he wants to show mercy to those who approach him through Jesus. And so we believe the king of all can be approached confidently and he wants to help us freely in our time of need. But how often do we actually live that out? Do we practice the righteousness that Jesus has won for us to approach the throne of grace? Well, what about the bit that we read today, Matthew 6, 9, that Craig has already touched on a bit? Our Father in heaven. The last and wonderful mind-blowing truth that we, that we see about prayer is that, that um, we love to preach, is that God is our Father in heaven. You know, uh, our kids, I don't know, if you, probably if you have kids within the ages of somewhere between two and a half, so, and I don't know where it kind of stops, I think they stop when they get to teenager age in terms of how much they talk. But certainly our kids who are three and five just love to talk our ears off all the time. You know, it's sometimes quite frustrating just to have a conversation with your wife because they just interrupt you all the time. Dad, Dad, oh, I saw a spider. I saw this. Dad, hey, look at this, what I'm doing now. Hey, look, I'm going to jump over this thing. It's like, oh my goodness. But anyway, that is what they like. It's like, what the, you know, they want to share everything with me. They also want to make sure that we watch everything they do. And approve of it and praise them. Oh, what a big jump. Wow, that's impressive. You're amazing. You know, that's kind of what it's like. They share everything and they often want us to remind them that they're loved, that they're valuable to us, and that they're very precious. And that seems to me just a natural relationship between children and their father or their parents, right? It seems unnatural to go against that, even though sometimes it is frustrating. As we preach God as our Heavenly Father because of this place that Jesus has given us in His heavenly family as children of God, do we practice that? 
Do we, like children, just want to talk to our parents, to our Heavenly Father, all the time? Want to keep hearing how much He loves us as we open the Word? How valuable we are and, and share the things that we're doing. It might not be jumping off a, you know, like a playground or a slide. It's maybe other things in life. But do we always want to speak to Him? Or has some hypocrisy slipped in and saying, yes, He's our Heavenly Father, but I don't really talk to Him that much. Lastly, as Jesus warns us about religious hypocrisy, He deals with fasting. And this is quite an interesting uh, thing because fasting has actually become quite a popular thing, right? If you're, if you're into your food and you're trying to be healthy, fasting's quite the rage these days. Uh, people often talk about, I think it's 16-8 fasting. So you, for 16 hours of the day you fast and you don't eat anything. And then for 8 hours of the day you pretty much just eat whatever you want. Uh, and you make up for the other 16 hours. And it's meant to be really healthy for you. And, and so that is a thing that's going on. But this is obviously not the kind of fasting that Jesus is talking about. Fasting for Jesus is about giving up food or drink uh, or whatever else to create space, to make time uh, to be nourished by God himself. We heard Jesus explain the basis for this earlier in Matthew. Sorry, I've put it up a bit too early. This is what he says in Matthew 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see that and we go, yeah, yeah, we, we believe that, we preach that. This is what we believe, that as humans we are not simply sustained by food, but by God's word. We believe that if you truly want to be alive, you don't just feed on food, but you feed on God's word. And so what, what will this look like for us? Well, you, you, you might fast from social media and every time you would have gone on to it, you might read the Bible instead. Then you would say, take some time to think what you've just read through and, and kind of process it, think, how would this apply to me? You would also think about what the passage is teaching me about God because I constantly want my mind to be reshaped about who He really is and instead of thinking what the world is telling me is like, we, and as we do that, we want to praise Him. We want to think, how do I relate to Him afresh as a result of this? You might now finish off by praying um, you know, through all of these things and asking God to apply it to you, to change your heart, to, to set you in a new direction and to be thankful for what He's done for you. And kind of what I've just explained is what we call meditation, biblical meditation. You, you meditate on the Bible deeply and it nourishes you in a profound way. And we preach that we can't live without God, but do we actually practice this? Do we practice fasting like this? Or have we become religious hypocrites? And really we live like atheists who think we can do it without God. We don't need Him at all. So, the first step in avoiding religious hypocrisy is to practice your righteousness. Live out the wonderful things that Jesus' righteousness uh, uh, is kind of done for you and won for you and, and is achieving in you. Let's practice what we preach, is essentially what Jesus is saying. But the second bit to kind of watch out for religious hypocrisy, is to, is to practice your righteousness to be seen by your Heavenly Father. You see, point one was about being a worldly hypocrite, if you like. 
you know, in a way that people can see, in a way that everyone would recognize. But point two, Jesus goes deeper. He goes into our hearts and he talks about religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrites practice their righteousness before others, uh, not to necessarily make their heavenly father proud, but to impress others with their supposed devotion of God. Religious hypocrites have huge audiences, right? They're trying to impress everyone around them. Um, But the true Christian has an audience of one. He or she is simply concerned about what God sees and what God knows and what God thinks about them. Now, the first thought probably in your mind is, why is that guy standing up preaching to people in public? Should he maybe be preaching in his house by himself to no one? Because maybe he's doing the very thing he's talking about. (laughs) Let me be clear. This doesn't mean that the true Christians don't practice their faith before others. Some people seem to think that. You know, they would say something like, you don't have to be part of a church community to be a real Christian. God sees me. God knows me. He knows what I do. And that's sufficient. Now, that's simply not true. It completely goes against what the Bible teaches about Christian community. And you can come to our next Unite course and you can hear all about that if you don't believe me. But also, even just right here, that statement goes against this very passage, the whole of it. You know, here in our passage, you have a group of believers, for example, that's gathering together in a synagogue. So they're not in their, by themselves in their homes, just doing their own thing. They're coming together. You have people who are part of a community, and they know when other people are in need. Again, they're not isolated. You, um, you go down to the Lord's Prayer, and it's given to us in a plural form. Did you notice that? It's not my Father in heaven, but our Father in heaven. It's not give me my daily bread, but it's give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so on it goes and it goes. And Jesus is expecting even our fasting to be done with others around, where they can see and there's a temptation to be thinking about them too much. You see, the problem with religious hypocrisy is not that it's done before others, but that it's done for others. Did you get that? The problem with religious hypocrisy is not that it's done before others, but it's done for others. Have a look there at verse 1 again. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Did you notice, Jesus doesn't say, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, and then it stops. No, because he expects us to live out our faith in the sight of others. Um, And just a couple of weeks ago, actually, we heard Jesus say, go out, be the light and the salt of the world. He doesn't say, stay in your house and be salt and light. He says, go out and be the salt and light of the world. But what Jesus is saying there in that verse is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And it's not just this verse. It's the the key problem, really, of religious hypocrites. Have have a listen to the following verses. In verse 2, Jesus says this, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be praised by others. 
Verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces because they want to show God... Oh, no, that's not. That their fasting may be seen by others. Wow. You see, religious hypocrites pretend to be glorifying God and in their religious actions, but really they're trying to glorify themselves. What they're doing is not to point people to God through their religious actions, but to point to themselves. They love a pat on the back. They love a few words of praise and, and that people's eyes are fixed on them as they do this amazing thing so wonderfully. And Jesus is so against this that he pushes hard for all of these things not to be done in public, but in private. Not where everyone can see, but in secret. Look how he describes true Christianity as opposed to religious hypocrites. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, we know that that's not true, but Jesus is speaking in an extravagant way to drive home the point that our giving must be in secret. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Make yourself pretty. Don't throw dust and ashes and tear your clothes and make everyone see what you're doing. Do that so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Friends, <laughs> you have to get this about the Christian faith. Okay, What you do in secret speaks more of your faith than what you do in public. Did you get that? What you do in secret speaks more of your faith than what you do in public. That's that's key to remember, especially when you see people up here. We can often take the people on this platform and just raise them up. Oh man, that was amazing what he did in those 20 minutes. He must be a perfect Christian. But you haven't seen me, you know, kick my dog and scream at my kids and whatever else I do that God sees. And so it's key that we remember that what we do in secret speaks more of our faith than what we do in public. And, and, And get this, Jesus doesn't say forget about the public, No, he says the private is primary. What you do when no one is around reveals the genuineness of your faith. What we do when no one is around is the true barometer of our faith. So, what might this look like in the day-to-day? Well, you can sit with someone who has no personal faith in Jesus at all. He doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, he or she and doesn't love God. But you know what? They come to church. They're in a growth group, what we call growth groups, a Bible study, if you're new. Um, and they might even be serving in a ministry in the church. And they might well say, hey, I study the Bible all the time. You know, when I come to church, someone preaches, I study the Bible. When I go to growth group, you know, we're opening up the Bible, we're studying it together. And, you know, I even do devotions at the youth group, for example. And so I study it. But if you were to ask them, hey, how's your personal Bible reading going. It might be completely non-existent. Uh, or what about prayer? 
You know, they might say, oh, yeah, when, when I, I always pray when I'm at youth group or when I'm out at the camp that we did with the kids or whatever. You know, I really want to set a good example for how you need to pray. Uh, and I want to keep reminding people that God is real and all those kind of things. But they might never pray by themselves when no one is there, when it's just them in their room, them on the train, them in the car. They, they might be people who really seem to sacrifice a lot in making time for church involvement. But when they're not with others and they're just at home, they, they can't seem to put the, the gaming controllers down and just spend some time with Jesus. Or other things that might take them away from Jesus. Really, when it boils down to what they do at home and where no one is, it's like God doesn't exist. Do you see why Jesus says, beware religious hypocrisy. You can look so good to others, but to God who sees your heart and what happens in secret, your love for Him and your devotion to Him is non-existent. There's no personal relationship with Jesus. Have a look at what Jesus says later on in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now you see there Jesus is making the point again. It's not about the outside, getting things all pretty and clean. It's about the inside. So how's your private walk with Jesus? Answer that question truthfully. How's your heart when you're surrounded by others? Maybe even serving them wonderfully. Are you focused on the eyes of those around you? Or are you focused on the eyes of your heavenly Father? Wanting to be seen by Him. The one who is unseen and the one who sees in secret. As you practice your righteousness, do you do it with an audience of one in mind? Your heavenly Father. Or are you trying to please others? This is a question that only you can answer. This is the scary thing about this and why Jesus warns us so powerfully against it. Maybe others can help if you start sharing, but ultimately only you will know. And so, if we we do practice our righteousness with an audience of one in mind, our Heavenly Father, well, we're one step closer in not being a religious hypocrite because we're doing it to be seen by our Heavenly Father. So practice your righteousness to be seen by your Heavenly Father. We've dealt with those two. And now lastly, to be rewarded by Him. What we see under this point is that we will be rewarded by those whose eyes we're trying to capture. And the reason we want to be seen to be doing certain things is because really we want to be rewarded, right, in some way. We want to be praised. We want to be thought of highly or we we want to be admired for our effort. And those are all rewards that we, that we can get and we can seek after. And you have to see that Jesus is not against the idea of rewards. He's simply saying, choose wisely who you're trying to impress, because that'll shape the rewards that you're getting. If you're practicing your righteousness to be seen by others, by people... Well, you will be rewarded by them. Jesus is not saying you won't get anything out of it. Look there, three times he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verses 2, 5, and 16. And in each case, the reward seems, let's be honest, to be ordinary and fleeting. 
It, it might reward you for a little while, but soon it will be gone. And this is because human rewards are just so insufficient and short-lasting that we need more and more and more all the time. And so living for human rewards, actually, and I hope you get this, can crush us when we're looking to get rewards from other human beings. It can crush us. You know why? Because you have to keep performing for people to see you and reward you and just tell you how amazing you are and how, how, how um, you know, like solid you are and how dedicated and all those kind of things. And inevitably, as we struggle with uh, living out this extravagant life to, for, to, for people to see and to praise us, well, the real us that we do in secret, um, those two lives are starting to crash. Inevitably, our double lives can crash under our own pressure of being who we are not. But it can also crush others who we're constantly wanting praise and recognition from them, you know, trying to suck praise and rewards out of them when they themselves are just mere human beings who are also looking to be loved and valued and accepted. They can't always be feeding your ego when you're so dependent also on having your own ego stroked. And so living to be seen by other human beings and to be rewarded by them is destructive in the long run. And, and most importantly, it doesn't go beyond the grave. Rather, what I want you to do is listen to the other phrase that Jesus repeats three times. Have a listen to what he says. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Just let that sink in. You know, because you only spend maybe two hours here on a Sunday or at youth group another bit or growth group. But your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, God is not against rewards and He wants to reward us. It might look uh, something a bit like, you know, here's one of the rewards that I think, because I was thinking, what are these rewards? Come on, like, entice me, God. What, what are these rewards that you're going to give me? Well, I think one of them I thought of is that it might just be as simple as becoming like your Heavenly Father. As you give generously uh, and try and be like Him, the great and generous giver, you can become like Him, the one who you were meant to be like. Remember how we were made in His image and His likeness? As we give, another reward might be that we will be blessed in a way that I seriously cannot pin down for you. But I know Jesus promised in Acts 20 verse 35, he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so there's another reward for you. Other rewards might simply be that God is answering our prayers. Just imagine if you're always praying in front of people so that they can hear you and, and how amazing you are, but they never answer your prayers. Because they just can't. But a great reward, even as you're praying before other people and you're addressing your heavenly Father, is that your prayers will actually be answered. Maybe not in your own timing and in your way, but they certainly will be heard and answered. Another reward we, we kind of get through is through maybe something like sacrificial fasting is simply, get this, God himself. When you cut out social media, when you cut out gaming, when you cut out Netflix and you say, God, I've created space for you to come and, and reveal yourself to me more. I want to have a real relationship with you. Guess what you get? You get God. It's amazing. What a reward that is to have the God of the universe reveal himself to you more and more and having a real and living relationship with him. 
And we can go on and on about rewards that Christians receive from their God, but I think that's another sermon altogether. It's enough to say that God's rewards are far greater than anyone else's, both now and forever. I think it's actually fair to say that Jesus doesn't want us to get stuck on how our devotion to God will reward us. (laughs) Because if he did want us to think about that, well, he would have given us lots of detail about it, right? But he doesn't. But I think what we should be blown away, and this dawned on me yesterday, is that our Heavenly Father actually wants to reward us for practicing our righteousness. Now, why is that so mind-blowing? Well... It's because he's the one that gave us that righteousness in the first place through Jesus, freely. And you know what? He didn't stop there. He also then filled us with his spirit to desire that righteousness, to to see the world in a different way, that we want to live it out, to reach out to people, to help the needy, to, to view the world he does, and to work in us through his spirit to actually want to do it and be able to do it. Jeepers. So at the... At this point, I haven't done anything yet. It's all God. Okay, and then we hear in other parts of the Bible that God is the one that sets up meetings with people, scenarios and all sorts of things so that we can do the good works that he's planned for us. Oh, golly gosh. So he even goes ahead of me and he prepares good works for me and then when I do the works that he's prepared for me and that he's enabled me, then he wants to reward me. Isn't that crazy? We should be blown away that he wants to reward us and be gracious to us in that way. We should be so humbled at that very thought that 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 is what he wants to do. Knowing that no good works have come from us apart from our Father's gracious work and yet he wants to reward us for it. How humbling. And I think that's a good place to land is humility. Because that's the opposite of what religious hypocrites do, don't they? They are normally filled with pride, self-righteousness. But the true believer is filled with humility and thankfulness. So that's what we've got for today, friends. I hope you have heard the warning of Jesus. Beware of religious hypocrisy. And to try and avoid it, practice your righteousness to be seen by your Heavenly Father and to be rewarded by him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your righteousness, that you didn't just hold it and keep it to yourself, but you have come to share it with the world, the world that has rebelled against you, and that has hated you and ultimately killed you. And thank you that we can receive that righteousness, and that we get to practice it and live it out. We pray, Lord, that as we leave here and as we're surrounded by other people in our workplaces, in our growth groups, in church and ministries and even at home, that we would practice our righteousness with you in mind, to please your eyes, to live in a way that we know that you are always there, you always see, and we want to be pleasing to you. And Lord, may we be humbled by the fact that you want to reward us. We, we have experienced human rewards, praises, pats on the backs, and all those things, and very quickly they disappear. But we look forward to your rewards. We don't quite know what they are. We've touched on some, but we trust that they're good and that they're beautiful and that they're going to blow our minds away one, time, one day. 
But even now, we know we get to experience you. We get to be like you. And we get to play a part in your wonderful plans and purposes. That already is very much great rewards for us now. May we live out these things, Lord. And may our church, uh, just as a whole, not be filled with people who are religious hypocrites, but people who are trying to truthfully and faithfully, genuinely and honestly follow you. Would you bless our efforts, we pray, for our good and your glory. Amen.